We'd like to take our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 30. Proverbs chapter 30, and we want to read the first six verses. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, even the prophecy, the man spake unto Ithiel, even unto Ithiel and Ukal. Surely I am more brutish than any man, and have not the understanding of a man. I neither learned wisdom nor have the knowledge of the holy. Who has ascended up into heaven, or who descended? Who hath regarded the wind in his fists? Or excuse me, who hath gathered the wind in his fists? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. Add thou not unto his words, lest he reprove thee, and thou be found a liar. And we'll end our reading there, reluctantly, because I want to deal more with this great chapter. But uh, I'm... I'm treating this as the final installment in a long series on Proverbs. We did not attempt to write a book, even though if you kept the notes, you might think I did. Uh, we call it gleanings from the Proverbs because when I'm all done, I'll feel like I've only gotten the tip of the iceberg of what the wonderful treasures are in the book of Proverbs to be used on a regular basis in our lives and the the final subject I'm attempting here is called a biblical worldview. Now, we are not going to give a complete biblical worldview here. That would take another huge amount of effort, and we would need to use more of the Bible than just the book of Proverbs. But we want to see Proverbs play its part. It can be used as an enticement to draw you into deeper thinking and as a support, sustenance, maintenance of biblical thinking, because the world's bombarding you constantly with other values and ethics and arguments. <clears throat> and the book of Proverbs, in these lovely smaller sections, keep reinforcing, restating, putting things out there. Um, one of the things about Christian growth is to keep learning what you already know. Just think about that. Well, right now, I just want to ask the question, what is a worldview? Never heard of it until oh, back when the Truth Project came out. There's a good worldview uh, subject, and we have a DVD series that can be used uh, to help obtain that. But uh, a dictionary definition for worldview is a collection of attitudes, values, stories, and expectations about the world around us, which inform or influence our every thought and action. Worldview. It is a philosophy of life a conception of the world. It is a perspective about the essence and meaning of the universe, the physical world, and the world of people. It is the accumulation of ethics and values for an individual person as well as for collective society as a whole. It is how you interpret what's going on in the world and what should be going on in the world. A sense of of order, of how things are and how they should be. Multiple thousands of worldviews exist. 
They can be found in the formal systems of belief in religion, philosophy, science, and political science. Untold worldviews exist in the hearts and minds of individuals. Now, some people don't think they have a worldview, but they do. It comes out in different ways. It's expressed in various art forms. And you, you, know, you can think of music and literature and plays as, as just some of those. But very simply, you can start to learn a person's worldview by the way they live and the way they talk. A true view of life in the world must begin with God and his word. As Proverbs 30 quickly uh, got our attention on that fact. But in the book of Genesis, in the beginning, God. No attempt to explain how God got around, because he didn't get around. He's just always been around. Okay. Uh, the Bible starts with an already existing, all, always existing Sovereign God. Everything else comes after that. So should our thinking about the meaning, purpose, and essence of life, it has to begin with God. Someone once said that education without God just makes us clever devils. This series cannot develop a complete worldview. We are gleaning from the book of Proverbs to gain important building blocks and facets of a biblical worldview. Once discovered, these principles from many of the Proverbs will help form and sustain a good outlook. It has been suggested that the 31 chapters of the book of Proverbs allows us to read one chapter a day, completing the book in a month. And after you've done that, do it again. Repeat this process each month and you will be fortified against the influence of Satan and this world. Our scripture reading from Proverbs 31 through 6, shows us that a good worldview must begin with a humble attitude before God and that we should reverently search for absolute truth in God's word, the Bible. More details of this will be given later. I hope to do that next week. Meanwhile, let us notice that much of our previous gleanings of the book of Proverbs has a lot to offer as we construct a good worldview. Now, here's where I just have to explain. Started back at the end of February. When I'm done, this will be around eight months. And I think that's the longest series I've ever taught on a Sunday morning in this church. Uh, I've tried not to get too long in series because after all, people, I don't know, they can wear out. They, if, if you pay attention, then I'm sure some of you at least some of you have, I've been preaching different things all, around, all along, but sometimes people get this in their head. Oh, it's the Proverbs again. You know, and oh, we're going to just be in that book forever. You know, and it, I don't know. I don't know how to unpackage it and repackage it and put perfume on it and make it any better, but I've never been more sure that I was supposed to go, be in the book of Proverbs like this. I've never been more sure in my life of what I'm doing because what I'm seeing all around me when we talk about the, the dilemma in the world, the confusion, the crisis, the chaos, it comes back to the fact that people don't have the right worldview. They're being suckered into stupid talk. Find that one in the dictionary. But Christians even are slipping. We don't hear good faithful statements coming out of a lot of people who are... Um, 
they profess to be Christians and may well be, but they are slipping because they're getting hollowed out on the inside because they're listening to the world. They're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. They're standing in the way of sinners and they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. And that's not good. And until we get our delight in the law of the Lord and in his word daily, meditate. We're not going to be like trees prospering. And we're being befuddled. We're being put into the ditch. The the new thing I'm hearing now is that really smart churches are using artificial intelligence for worship. You now can have a computer graphic lead you in prayer and lead you in prayers and give you a sermon. We're even trying to put preachers out of business and other hard workers. I don't, I don't know why some people think technology is going to make it more spiritual, more popular. Oh, that's a dangerous word. But I'm getting off script here. What I have done since the end of February is to break into the concept of wisdom and that knowledge is a, is, a, is a part of God, not to be separated, and that God's Spirit is calling us to wisdom. And then what does that look like? And I, I picked some of the subjects that we've done, and maybe I just sneaked it up on you, teaching you worldview all along, but we didn't talk about it as worldview. We just talked about it. This is what the Bible says. This is what we should believe and do. This is what we should protect and cherish. This is what we should refute and abstain from. You know, it's just been real practical. Now I have to put a word worldview on it. But I want you to see the bigger picture. In this world, people, if they don't know who God is, if they don't know who Jesus is, if they don't know the reliability of this book here, the Bible, they're lost. They're lost and they're going to go in the ditch. And some of them try to be spiritual leaders. And Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they'll both, they'll all fall into the ditch. And so I'm presenting this as a very critically important thing. And so I have some of the subjects that we've covered. And what I've done is, if you haven't been here before, if you haven't heard all of this, I wanted to put notes down. That I know it looks encyclopedic. And and if you think that looks encyclopedic, you ought to see what I've been handing out for the last eight months. Because all of these subjects are in much greater detail. If you want to go back and review the series, there's a whole lot of detail. And what I've tried to do is I've put enough into these notes that you could get your teeth into something and go forward. Uh, I'm, I'm just warning you, I'm not trying to preach all these verses. Tempted, but I'm not trying to, to do that. But I want us to see the big picture here. I've got seven subjects here. And, and how do they relate to this thing called worldview? The first one is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Reverence for God is foundational to knowing truth and handling it wisely. Truth is not mere academics. To profitably pursue truth is to pursue him who is truth. So let me share a few things with you. And uh, for a while here, I'm not going to be turning in my Bible. I I printed another one of those cheat sheets so we can just keep moving. And you've got everything here you can look up. But I'm going to just mention Proverbs 1.7. 
probably the key verse to the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Proverbs 14.27, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. Proverbs 21.30, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Now that's how we get started with the worldview. Which weighs up, which weighs down. What is right, what is wrong. And it's not up for debate. We do not have ten suggestions, we have ten commandments. From which the Lord has many more things He wants us to know precisely and clearly So we have to begin with the fear of the Lord. This gets personal. Truth is a personal issue. You're you're learning him. And, of course, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come unto the Father but by me. And if you take a look there at Colossians 2, 1 through 3, you'll find out that in him, Jesus Christ, is hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's a treasure chest. And you know, I'll, I'll just mention this, that several times in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is personified, made a, a godly kinswoman calling out to men to, to come to the right paths and to abstain from the wrong paths. And that suffices for the time, but in, in the New Testament, we see Jesus is the wisdom of God. He has been made un, uh, unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Glorying in empty knowledge. I, I call it empty. I mean, I'm not, I, I'm not sitting here with sour grapes saying, well, you know, those guys, they think they're so smart and they don't. Uh, I'm not jealous because they are smarter than me. They know more stuff than me. I, I get that. But, but the fact is, they are like a, a beautiful train that's not on its tracks. And the minute the train's off the tracks, it's going to be down on its side. They're derailed. And that's the nicest word I can say right now. I could say worse. But we now come to the matter of fools and foolishness. Since there is an absolute standard for truth, which is God and his word, there is also an absolute standard for discerning that which is false and foolish. And we're getting all kinds of tricks made upon us with smoke and mirrors, trying to get people to doubt everything they've ever believed, everything that this world has ever uh, taught, even general morality for, for millennia. It's all up now for grabs. It's all being thrown out, and we're going to rewrite everything. History, values, etc. But we have an absolute standard here, and we're warned about this. in uh, Again, Proverbs 1.7 The fear of the Lord is the beginning of uh, knowledge. But then it says, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, when level-headed, reasonable people offer answers to other people, they literally put their fingers in their ears and make noises with their mouth and walk away. I've seen the silliest, most fourth-grade schoolyard behavior. You know, here, here we are. Asking a Supreme Court justice, what is a woman? And they say, oh, I don't know. I'd have to be a biologist. Then you ask a biologist, and they say, no, I have to ask a psychologist. And everybody's passing this one on. And 
I think a four-year-old can answer this question. Yeah. But anyways, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. What a danger. And if you let go of the steering wheel, then who do you blame for going into the ditch? You put your hands on the Word of God. You put your hands on the plow handles or whatever, however you want to make here for a metaphor, but don't lose your grip. And they're trying to get us to let go of sanity and believe their, their theories. Blown about with every wind of doctrine. Well, Proverbs 3.35, The wise shall inherit glory, but shame shall be the promotion of fools. Proverbs 15, 14, The heart of him that has understanding seeketh knowledge, but the mouth of fools feedeth on foolishness. And that's what people are doing today. They're spending so much time feeding on foolishness. Maybe it's just entertainment. Or maybe it's TED Talks. Maybe it's you know, some other video clip here and there. Maybe it's your favorite news program. Your newscaster. But unless we hold everybody up to the high authority of the scriptures, unless we're like the Bereans who go home and search the scriptures to see if these things are so, we're going in the ditch. We must not feed on foolishness. The time-tested word of God is our rock, our foundation. Proverbs 19, verses 1 through 3. Better is the poor that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Also that the soul be without knowledge, it is not good. And he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. The foolishness of man perverts his way and his heart fretteth against the Lord. That's such a mouthful right there. That... Integrity. You may be poor. You may not have much means. You may not have little influence in this world. But it says here that the poor that walks in its integrity is better than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. Have you thought about what it means for the soul to be without knowledge? It isn't necessarily about your head. I mean, we got to put something up there, obviously. You know, or, or we're, we're going, our, our head isn't going to... Stay straight when the wind blows. We've got to put facts up here that are accurate. But down here farther, meditation, rumination, chewing the cud, we've got to get some things in our soul. And, and I'll just bring up an old illustration that when they're training bank tellers how to handle money, they do not spend time showing them hundreds and hundreds of counterfeits. They keep detailing what is real money, what's it like, What's it feel like? What are the qualities? And when something phony comes up, you, they just know. This isn't the real deal. And they put it aside and can have it examined later. We need to have some kind of an impulse, a reflex within us. The knowledge of the soul should tell us this doesn't smell right. So I'm not going to be in a hurry to just accept everything I'm being told, as we saw in there, uh, about those that are hasty. It is not good, and he that hasteth with his feet sinneth. People are in a hurry to throw out everything and get something new. It's real easy to say, oh, the last generation failed. Everybody's failed. We're going to get it right this time. And, 
They're ready to throw out things they don't even understand. They don't understand the brilliance of what in to the documents of our nation. And they say, scrap all that. Those old geezers didn't know anything. They don't understand today's stuff. And let's just rewrite all that. That's just what we need is to throw out everything that's stable to inherit the wind. Well, and I'm not trying to really, really, really get political here, but you know those people that say I never talk about religion and politics? I say to myself, what do you talk about? Weather? Sports? Yeah, yeah. What's going on in God's reality and what's going on in our society with other people, our neighbors that we're supposed to love like ourselves? We better talk something about the meaning of life. So now we come to the subject of pride and humility. Proverbs 3.34, Surely he scorneth the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly. Now Peter liked that. I think James did too. But Peter said, uh, Surely he, uh, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Yes, James said that too in chapter 4. But uh, 1 Peter 5 But as you compare the words, you're getting the same message. God isn't going to play games with people who are dedicated to being fools. We live in his presence. In him we live and move and have our being. And there should be a certain sacredness to living. It should be a sacred thing. To live in the presence of God and to... Uh, be before fellow man and how we represent ourselves and our God to others. Are we our brother's keeper? The last guy I knew who said he wasn't didn't do well. We are our brother's keepers. And so, humility. Sometimes we try to overtly humble ourselves before man and that gets a little sicky, a little gaggy. See, if you're humbled before God, you'll handle the before man part well, too. Because I don't, have to, I don't have to treat other people as better than me. I just need to respect them for God's sake. They're made in the image of God. And, and love and respect are key words to getting along in life. But if I'm humbled before God, I'll be humbled just the way I should be before everybody else. Because there's something about God, when, he, when you humble yourself before Him... It says he will lift you up. And when your chin gets lifted up, you're not going to cower in front of people. You're going to speak the truth from your heart. You're going to love people with truth. I got something a whole lot better than tolerance. It's called love. Love that rejoices not in iniquity, but love rejoices in the truth. So if I love my neighbor, I'm going to love him with truth. Proverbs 16, 5 Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Okay, now, just to remember, worldview time is everybody's going to answer to God. What God thinks about us is more important than what anybody else thinks about us. There's a, there's a, there's a God that lives. He's graciously created us. He's graciously given us time. But he's calling all men everywhere to repent. What do I repent of? In what way am I to change my mind? Well, back to biblical worldview. This is what God says is right. And if I don't love what he loves and don't hate what he hates, I'm not right with him. 
And so therefore, I don't want to be an abomination. Now, if you want the plain truth, the word abomination literally means in the Hebrew that it makes you want to throw up. There's nothing new about that. Jesus wanted to throw up because of one of the churches, Laodicea, lukewarm, not cold, not hot. He felt like throwing them up. God says, I feel like throwing up when I see pride. Okay, you, you may like this story, you may even remember it. But an elephant and a rooster walked across the bridge, and the bridge went boom, 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 boom. And the rooster looked up at the elephant and says, boy, we sure shook that bridge. <laughs> okay, so let's not waste time with pride. But it also says, though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Now that should bring a serious, holy, godly sorrow into our hearts. Not, not, yay! I saw some people one time that were propagating how evil certain people were in government, and they started to celebrate the fact that they're going to be burning in hell in a while. And, and uh, that, that's, that did not resonate with me. No, I'm not to be happy at the fall of the wicked. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. How dare I? You know, I don't have time to fear man. I don't have time to fight with mere flesh. I need to pity man. You know, we, we, we often say we're not on the winning side. We've already won. And that means those who reject Christ, they've already lost. The wrath of God abides on them, John 3.36 says. Not will abide, it does abide. They're in trouble. I have no time to fear man and I have no time to flatter him. I'm not here to please man. I'm here to please God. And those who are humble, Psalm 34 says, they hear this, they'll be glad. So you see, we have a chance to make a lot of people happy. But it comes by loving what God loves, hating what God hates. And it says here, though hand join in hand, they shall not go unpunished. That evokes pity from my heart. Sadness. But there's still time. The story's not over in their life. I know God knows everything, but the fact is we're playing it out one day at a time here. And as long as they have breath, we have hope. Amen. Okay, so Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. See, just the time people think they're waxing eloquent is about when they're going to take a terrible fall. And it moves slowly to us in time. We, we agonize over this. We see things happening that, that just, just wrought us. But God, a day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. He says, I know the end of all things. I know the beginning from, I know, I know the end from the beginning. Let me say that right. And he doesn't just know, like, oh, yeah, I looked in the crystal ball. No, he knows in the sense in which he has set his mind, his heart, his will on things. And he had this one glorious thought. I, I mustn't get too theological here, but, the, but the, uh, the, um, the decree of God is like one massive, gigantic thought. He thought of everything, and 
He's settled. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And we need to settle down to that too. We fight, understandably, a certain amount of anxiety when people flare up and rise up and, oh, if I had time, Proverbs 3 would come right back, I'd have another one. But I got I to gotta stop here. There's some more things to cover. We cover the subject of mothers and fathers. Now, if you're wondering why I put mothers before fathers, it's simply because when I preached it, I did mothers first on Mother's Day, and I did fathers next on Father's Day, so it's no big significant you know, hierarchy here. Mothers and fathers, if you ever go online to look up the notes or if you've kept them all, you can go back and find them in this order. Why is it so important about mothers and fathers? And just a, a little spoiler alert, Proverbs 30 really keeps inserting the idea of all the things it's talked about. Every now and then there's something about how we treat our fathers and our mothers. Well, Proverbs 1.8 resembles many other references in the Proverbs. It goes like this. My son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. Uh, this is repeated in various forms throughout the Proverbs. Proverbs twenty three twenty two. Hearken unto thy father that begot thee, and despise not thy mother when she is old. Which means even though a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, he still will honor and, and care for his parents. They say parenting is a life sentence. And um, in a sense, being a child is that too. The roles may change as the parents get older and older and older. And roles may seem even reversed. But there's something that will undo the fabric of society if we don't work on this subject of the relationships between parents and their children. Many broken hearts today because there's been severances between parents with their adult children and even grandchildren. I know back when I talked about this Mother's Day or Father's Day, I mentioned in Kids Club we taught the Ten Commandments, and it's typical to draw the stone tablets and use Roman numerals to show the, the Ten Commandments. And often they're portrayed as one, two, three, four on one tablet, and five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten on the other. And the first tablet represents our relationship to God, and the second one, our relationship to man. And that's, that's all nice. But I found it's better to put 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 on the second tablet, but 5, honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Do you know, if, if you call God your father and you treat your earthly father like garbage, what are you saying? What are you saying about fatherhood? See, God takes it personal. How we treat our parents is how we treat him. He's even said in the book of Malachi, I'm going to send before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah, that he will bring the heart of the fathers to the children or the sons and the heart of the sons to the fathers, lest I smite the earth with a curse. I wonder if that is not part of end times prophecy that we will see this breakdown of family. Marriage, obviously, is getting attacked left and right. 
And anymore, people don't, they don't, it isn't just that they don't know who to marry, they don't know what to marry. (laughs) And as it breaks up the father-mother relationship, the nuclear family, we've called it in the past, now it is, what do we do with the old man and the old woman? And in come ideas about um, euthanasia. No longer productive, too much burden, go out nice, we, we've got a quick shot. And now we're managing people like cattle, put them down. This has untold ramifications reaching into the fabric of society. And we've, we can look at the results already. And we can look in other parts of the world where they're way ahead of us in the, in the decline of, of family values. And look what those societies are like. Well, this brings us to God and country. And somebody might say, well, there can't be that much in the Proverbs about God and country. Whew. Depends how much you want to think about your country and your relationship to it. Now, um, God's kingdom and the human authority under which he has placed us deserve respect and submission in the proper order of God first, man second. The following scriptures that are listed have to do with both the citizen and for those who exercise authority. And and I don't want to get tedious here, but the the word king is used a lot. And you might say, we don't have a king. I'm off the hook. Free card. No. No. King is representative of a lot of things. There's other forms of leaders with different titles. And there's also the the matter of constitution and other systems of law, and law-abiding citizens, so forth. And, and, and by the way, the leaders have to be law-abiding too, don't they? Oops, I'm going to stop. That one's a tempting topic. But um, let's just look at a few things here that pertain to both the citizens and the leaders of country. First of all, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14:34. Now, righteousness exalts a nation. But why is it when sin is mentioned, it is a reproach to any people? Now, people can be a word to describe a large group of people, multiple. But the, that word people brings me down to the fact of individuals. And James Kennedy saying, reaching America one heart at a time. And one of the ways I overcame my fear of public speaking with large groups, and of course God hasn't given me too many large groups, but I, I stood before a thousand people one time, and I liked to kick me in the solar plexus. But I had to understand that I'm not talking to some massive blob of people. I'm talking to individuals. Just happen to be doing it with more than one at a time. But you're all just people. Your breath is in your nostrils. And the old saying, you put your pants on one leg at a time and all that. You know, you're just people like me. Now, this is not a hard job here. You're my, you're my friends, my brothers and sisters. But there came time where I had to learn to overcome this kind of fear. When I stand up before a strange crowd, and I had to think about the people aspect. And, and so it is. This nation's pretty scary. My desire to travel is getting less and less these days. 
I really like where I am. And that's a dangerous thing to say before the Lord because you know, he's called the comforter, but he doesn't particularly like the word comfortable. <laughs> so there's a way to make us uncomfortable right where we're at, though, is when we become missionaries to our own nation. And I think that's what we have to do. Proverbs 20, 28, mercy and truth preserve the king and his throne is upholden by mercy. That's worth much thought. Proverbs 29, 4, the king by judgment establishes the land, but he that receiveth gifts overthroweth it. Gifts is referring to bribery. And no, I'm not going to cite any headlines right now. This is going on and it's flying up in the air like dust. But Judgment or justice establishes the land, but bribes and gifts will overthrow the land, overthrow the nation. There's a lot more there to look at, but I'm giving you the shorter version because this is a a survey, a synopsis, a, a gleaning for the sake of worldview. What do I think about government? What part do I play in it? How do I respond instead of react to the injustices that go on? Now, I'll just mention that um, Jesus was offered a trick question one time. Well, we know, Jesus, says you don't regard any man and you're, you just follow God and you know man's person it affects you. And so what should we do? Should we pay taxes? Taxes to Rome. Probably said just like that. In the Hebrew. And if he said, no, don't pay your taxes, they'd turn him into Rome. And if he said, be loyal to Rome, then they'd say, look, he's not a loyal Jew. That's what they hoped. Jesus knew his way around. Nobody had to warn him about this one. I I remember listening to some animated Bible, something you could just uh, audio listen to, and they made a dramatic production and these guys, these Pharisees come up to ask this question. And someone in the crowd says, be careful, Lord. He's trying to trick you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, who, would, who would have thought that somebody had to tip off Jesus? But anyways, he says, get a coin. They got a coin. Whose picture's on it? Herod, whatever, Pharaoh, need, I mean, uh, not Pharaoh, what am I saying? Yeah, Caesar. Yes, thank you. So there's Caesar. So Jesus said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and render unto God the things that are God. And we have a, 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 quite a historical precedence that whenever government can, it tries to usurp the things that belong to God and make themselves like God to, the, to their nation. Bring it into subjection. That's a tendency. And that's where the the rub comes. That's where the conflict comes. That's where discernment comes. When to render to my earthly government what is right. And at the same time, not cooperate when they try to take those things that really belong to God. So I, I leave that with you. There's more scripture in there, and I just have to keep moving. Now the tongue comes up. And why would the tongue get put into a worldview? That's because what words can do in this world. What we say is extremely important. What we say can be twisted and maligned. If we speak foolishly, it'll come back to bite us later. And, well, here 
Hear the Proverbs. Chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refrains his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The tongue of the wise, Proverbs 15, 2 says, The tongue of the wise uses knowledge aright, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. And here's the one I really wanted to get to, Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Now, I, I confess my, maybe it's my weakness here, but I couldn't tell what was the antecedent to the word it. What is it? They that loveth it. And I looked around, and every translation basically said the same thing. Loveth it, loveth it, loveth it. Well, what is it? You know, and I, it was, my thick skull couldn't get it, but they're talking about loving the tongue, which means I really like to talk. Watch out. I really love to talk. The, the faster you talk, it's like the faster you drive. One jerk of the steering wheel when you're going 100 miles an hour is going to do a lot more damage than if you're just going 20 miles an hour and you jerk the wheel. One, one bear stepping out in front of you on the highway when you're going 100 miles an hour is liable to be a terrible incident compared to if you were just going 20 miles an hour. Well, the faster we talk, we can, I, I compare it to outdriving our headlights. We can't see what we're saying. It sure feels good, though. And we start saying stuff we haven't really thought about. Next thing you know, out it comes. Something that we can't get back. The story about feathers on a fence post. Bear with me if you already know this one. But a guy got convicted that he had gossiped about a, 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 an acquaintance of his, and he went to see them, and he says, I want to confess my fault. I, I've, uh, I've gossiped and slandered you. And the man says, okay, I forgive you. But I have one favor to ask. And the guy says, sure, sure, what can I do? Here is a bag of feathers. You know, this is an odd story. I want you to go to every fence post in town and lay a feather on top of each fence post. And in his penance, he willingly did that. And he came back with an empty bag and said, okay, I did it. Because now I have one more thing to ask you. Go take the bag now and, and collect all those feathers. And that's not going to be so easy to do. Because the wind has blown them all over the place now. And that's how words are. Once we let them out, pretty hard to get them back. And so we have many warnings about the uh, excessive amount of the use of the tongue. It takes, James says, you just about have to be a perfect man to not sin with your tongue. And because of the tongue, people's reputations are ruined. Wars are declared. Um, and... Uh, policy after policy in, in human society is affected by how people speak. Not just what they say, but how they say it, too. I've seen some people that were at, right about what they said, but they were dead right as for the ability to make it do any good for others with, with harshness and cruelty and pride and vindictiveness and so forth. Okay, now, the last time I talked on A Productive Life, there was actually four installments to this one. And I, I remember going away from Proverbs sometimes because this required balance. Because we're talking about issues like laziness and slothfulness and diligence and industriousness. And we can get caught up in this. At one level, we need to not be lazy. We need to work 
and honestly work and provide for our loved ones and, and, and be a, a good, productive part of society. But some people get so wrapped up in that and material gain that they forget. And that story goes in, in Luke 12 about the man that had so much harvest that he had to tear down in his barns and build greater. He never thought about giving to the poor. He just says, take your ease, O soul. You have much goods laid up for many years. And, and that night... Thou fool, thy soul shall be required of you, and who shall eat those things you have prepared and stored? And Jesus said, This is the man that abounds in the world's goods, but is not rich towards God. A man's life does not consist in the things that he owns. So that's in there in those scriptures, but let's try to talk about this. It's going to bring us, I hope, to a gospel conclusion. Uh, Proverbs 13, 11, wealth gotten by vanity shall be diminished, but he that gathereth by labor shall increase. Proverbs 14, 23, in all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury. In other words, you're just down to pennies. Proverbs 18, 9, he also that is slothful in his work is brother to him that is a great waster. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5, labor not to be rich, Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And, and some of you already have that picture. The, uh, the greedy man and the bag with the cash sign on has wings. And he's running after it and it's going up, up, up. And it gets away from him. Yes, it can so easily slip away. Jesus had fed 5,000 people marvelously. He taught them. It was getting time that uh, they should be fed, and they're out of town. And, you know, the apostles are worried. They don't have any money. And, they, and how much bread would you have to buy? And Jesus says, don't worry about it. Has everybody sit down. And one boy had five loaves and two fish. And he blessed that. And as they passed it around, the basket never emptied. And everybody was fed. And, boy, people were just so excited. And Jesus knew what was really going on. So he sent the disciples over the waters. And, and they each had a basket of leftovers, by the way. But uh, that's another story. But uh, Jesus remained on his own. And later he crossed the sea. And the 5,000 were looking for him the next day. And they're looking at the boats and wondering, where, how did, you know, where did he go? Well, they went across and they found him. And how'd you get here? And, and you know, they wanted an explanation of this and they want to stick around him. And Jesus put it this way. He says, you didn't come after me because of the miracles that I did. You came because your bellies were filled. Okay. If you had said, Hey, this is evidence that Jesus is the Messiah. Look at this marvelous work he has done. Let's follow Jesus so we can get the truth. Instead, they said, Hey, it'll be mealtime in a while. Let's stick around him. We'll, he'll feed us again. So he says, Labor not for the food which perishes, but for that food which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. And they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Sounds good. But here's what he said. He answered them, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he has sent. Now, I just read from John 6, 27 through 29. But he goes on in just a little bit to say, I am the bread of life. And then that got into a discussion about manna and all kinds of things. And these people 
before they're done, are ready to kill him. They walk away from him. Because it's so hard to separate a religion that is meant to give me a better way in life and get along better from a religion that pleases God, represents him, builds the kingdom of the Son of God. It's a dilemma we're going to have. Yeah, we got to eat. God knows it. God says, ask him for your daily bread. And he also says, go work for it. But in doing that, it, become, it becomes an obsession. Like this is the main thing. Food, clothing, possessions, whatever. We have to remember a productive life has to produce something that's beyond just material things. There is um, this statement in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12 and verses 13 and 14. And, and he sums up by saying, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. I want us to think about the judgment of God first on those who are not in Christ. They do not know him as Lord and Savior. They are not a part of the family of God. They have not been given the eyes to see the kingdom of God. They're, they're not born again, and they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And for all the works they've done, whether they've been lazy or whether they've worked their heads off, whether they were poor or whether they had great wealth, here's what matters. And I read from Revelation chapter 20. And I have to turn here. Revelation chapter 20, starting with verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, Stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Talk about worldview. Talk about a world that's going to perish. Talk about a world that's going to be replaced. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. But for those who did not want this man to rule over them, They'll be cast out into outer darkness. All their works were not enough. All their works were as filthy rags. But there is another judgment, a different kind of judgment, for those who die in the faith of Christ. Now, I'm just going to mention John 5.24 says they will not fall into condemnation. 
Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And it talks about the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And, and, and what a beautiful picture. We shall not be condemned with the others. Again, we should be pitying them. Not wasting our time being angry with them, hating them, or fearing them. But what kind of a judgment awaits us who are in Christ? Well, I don't have time to read it all right now, but 1 Corinthians 3, and what is it, verses 9 through 15? It says, uh, we have a foundation, which is Christ, and we're building on that foundation. And, And people will stand before the Lord one day, Christians will stand to see how they built. Some of it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble, and it's going to be tested by fire and ashes. No rewards. Yet the soul shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Because you're not saved by those works, but you're hoping for reward. But other things will be considered gold and silver and precious stone, and the fire will reveal this, and there'll be reward. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I'll make you ruler over much. This wonderful statement in the book of Revelation 14.13 says, Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. Yea, henceforth and forever, saith the Spirit, for their works do follow them. The works that we've done in faith, the works that we've done by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are gold, silver, and precious stone. They follow us. There are going to be no U-Hauls going to heaven where we drag our junk. But there's going to be something there waiting for us. You, were, you saw me hungry and you fed me. You saw me thirsty and you gave me drink. You saw me in prison and you visited me. And in that wonderful, innocent way, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or in prison or whatever? And he says, as much as you did it unto the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So the great instruction that Paul gave through Timothy In 1 Timothy 6, verse 17, he says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate or share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. Those people who just say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get saved by grace and you know, Jesus will pay for my sins. I don't, wanna, I don't want any rewards. They almost think that's humble. What they're saying is, I want him to be my Savior, but not my Lord. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. We should be eager, not simply in a greedy way for rewards, but those things that we do glorify him. They enhance his kingdom. They are uh, a recommendation of the grace of God to others. Now, if that doesn't give you a little holy fire, then we better get some matches. I just hope we aren't trying to start a fire with green wood. Because we are here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Jesus has cleared the way and took away the impediments so that we can do that. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. 
To God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, world without end. Amen. Please, Father, use these words. And use our minds and hearts to conceive and bring forth that which is lovely and and holy and wonderful and, and full of life and grace and truth. Help us, Father, not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove or demonstrate that which is uh, good and acceptable and perfect before you. Please give us your grace. Please speak to our hearts continually. And if anyone here does not know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, may today be the day that they answer that call to come unto him and have truly a productive life. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.